Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And we have a doozy for you today. Is doozy still a word people use? Well, if they ever used it, we have one today. On your screen, of course, you can see the logo for Activision Blizzard. And it seems like only yesterday that we started this now 31 video long playlist on California's lawsuit against the video game publisher for pay discrimination, hiring discrimination, and sexual harassment. Obviously, things have gone in very many directions since then, but perhaps none more interesting than today. Today, at about 9 a.m. this morning, a Better ABK's Twitter account tweeted the following. Today, the ABK Workers Alliance, their formal name, not a Better ABK, announces the initiation of its strike. We encourage our peers in the game industry to stand with us in creating lasting change. For those who wish to join in solidarity, please consider donating to our strike fund. Now, if you aren't familiar at all with the concept of a workers' strike, it is pretty much as you imagine it. It is workers deciding to withhold the services that they provide to their employer for some reason or another. Here in tweet form, 280 character limitation, you don't get a lot of context, but we do know just from the last four months or so, that a better ABK has issued demands previously asking for employee representation on things like setting the diversity, inclusion, and equity policies at the company. And some of those have been answered in part by some of the things that Activision has done, but others, they, a better ABK, say haven't been satisfactorily responded to. And so we get this movement today. You go to the GoFundMe page, you see a better ABK strike fund organized by Jessica Gonzalez who we were just talking about a few episodes ago as having needed to leave Activision Blizzard. And it's a little bit unclear exactly what her role is going to be continuing with this particular effort. We'll talk about that more towards the back half of this video, but she's the organizer of this GoFundMe. They're looking for a million dollars. And what do they say the problem is specifically at the top of this particular fundraiser? In the months since the lawsuit, We've seen CEO Bobby Kotick and the board of directors protect abusers and only hold perpetrators accountable after the events were brought to light by outside media. We've seen Activision hire law firm Wilmer Hale, known for union busting, to disrupt and impede the improvement efforts of Activision Blizzard workers. And I have to say, I haven't actually seen that. Certainly could be happening behind the scenes. Wilmer Hale is a law firm. I'm not even sure they've gotten all their associates into the diligence rooms yet in order to run the bill up on this kind of thing. But certainly if you're on the worker organization side, it looks like a law firm that was designed to suppress this kind of activity. We've seen Raven software workers lured by the promise of promotion only to be terminated shortly after relocation on top of the already underappreciated and severely underpaid working conditions of ABK workers across the company. So they have an issue with the law firm hired to investigate Activision Blizzard, which admittedly was a law firm that was already associated with Activision Blizzard. We talked about that as part of this playlist. They have an issue with the story we've also been covering in this space of Raven Software Quality Assurance folks being asked to come to Wisconsin, then having their contracts terminated. Still a little bit of a lack of clarity. Activision Blizzard is claiming that those contracts are simply not being renewed rather than terminated and that they are in fact making 500 other temporary workers full-time employees. You can take that with the grain of salt it deserves. Activision Blizzard has not exactly covered itself in communications glory for the past four months, but there is a bit of a dispute as to what's happening there. These and many other events have caused an alliance of Activision Blizzard employees 
to initiate a work stoppage until demands are met and worker representation is finally given a place within the company. Now that's a little bit unclear in terms of language, what she means by worker representation. It's possible what she means is a formal union of fact that is backstopped by what else happened at exactly the same time that this went out. Now it's worth noting, we still don't get a great description of the demands that they're looking for, what the attempt is for this particular strike. It might be recognition of the union, we don't know. And we get a description of what these funds are gonna be used for, they will be used to contribute to offsetting wages lost from the work stoppage, as well as to assist in the potential relocation of Raven software workers who were forced to move without financial assistance at the insistence of Activision Blizzard. And forced to move is an open question there as well. And in fact, if they were forced to move substantial distances, it would be interesting to see what the contract said about a concept called constructive termination that can often appear in those kinds of contracts that say, hey, if you force me to commute for longer than 30 miles away from where I'm commuting right now, you can get into trouble. We don't know any of the specifics of those contracts. We do know Activision Blizzard, obviously seen by many and justifiably so. They've given reason to see them this way as bad actors. Uh, and so this is essentially a high leverage, good position for a better ABK and Jessica Gonzalez to be acting in because the eyes of the media and everyone else is watching this, including here, of course, in virtual legality. Now, you might also be asking a few questions about whether or not this works, right? We don't actually know if they've initiated a strike as of right now. They've certainly referenced it on Twitter. Folks are covering it as a story. We haven't seen this take form necessarily as of the taping of this particular video, but they've said they've started. And you might be asking the question, well, Rick, you've said before in virtual legality that this is a proto-union that they don't yet have union representation. They've asked for it. We talked in this video on your screen right now as a union push to have Activision Blizzard recognize CWA, the Communication Workers of America, as the union. And in that video, I said, effectively, they were asking for something that Activision can't give unless Activision has a belief that a majority of its employees actually want that union representation. They can't just force the rest of the employees who may or may not want a union to recognize that union. So Activision was between a rock and a hard place on this. We'll definitely be talking about this more in the second half of this video. But for right now, what's important to note is that you don't need a union to strike. If you look at the National Labor Relations Act, you see language we've talked about before in this space. Employees shall have the right to self-organization. And that does mean to form, join, or assist labor organizations and to bargain collectively with representatives, generally speaking, those labor organizations. But it also means to engage in other concerted activities and for the purpose of collective bargaining or other mutual aid or protection. Now we've noted it in other videos here. It's also worth noting that this act protects folks that don't wanna do that, don't wanna strike, don't wanna join a union. And that's an important part of the puzzle as well because what we're talking about today might well have divisions inside the company with respect to employees. We don't know what that looks like. It's part of the question. But in general, employees have these rights and Activision and any other employer can get into trouble as an unfair labor practice for trying to interfere with, restrain, or coerce employees in the exercise of those rights. So this is a little bit fuzzy, as we've seen so often in the law here in virtual legality, right? But in general, you can take action with your fellow employees to seek to improve your working conditions, to argue against the termination of contracts in Wisconsin at Raven Quality Assurance, to do those kinds of things. 
And those bits of law taken together with another piece of the National Labor Relations Act, which says nothing here, except as we specifically provide, and we'll talk about that more in just a second, shall be construed so as either to interfere with or impede or diminish in any way the right to strike or to affect the limitations or qualifications on that right. And in fact, the National Labor Relations Board has websites and advice and guidance that says, look, nothing here prevents you from striking. The National Labor Relations Act was not intended to prevent employees from striking or only require them to strike through a union, but it does get fuzzier. Now we can look at the unlabor, unfair labor practices section here and see things that a labor union as well as employees have to worry about with respect to striking, right? That bit of language we just talked about says, except as otherwise provided herein. So if you are striking, you have to worry about coercion. You have to worry about inducing folks to strike or actually fomenting a strike that does things that this act doesn't like, most of which I don't think would apply to this specific issue. But it's exactly the reason why you're going to need funding and support from a CWA. You're going to need counsel, in all honesty, labor folks that can tell you, hey, we read through all of this. We're pretty well versed in how all of this works and you can't do X, Y, or Z. And you have to be careful about A, B, and C. You especially have to be careful about picketing, right? Because picketing is the act of obstructing uh, entry into these various places. We don't know whether picketing is on the table for what's about to happen, although it is referenced in some folks' Twitter exchanges, but you have to be careful about uses like that. And to be honest with you, I haven't worked with a multi-billion dollar company that's facing a potential collective action slash union bargaining position. So all of this is going through lawyers much more highly paid than me, and probably many more of them, likely on both sides, but it's always a question with respect to the employees. And there are risks taken with this kind of thing, right? If we go and we look at the National Labor Relations Board, you see that there are different kinds of strikers that the board recognizes. It says employees who strike for a lawful object fall into two classes, economic strikers and unfair labor practice strikers. Both classes continue as employees, but unfair labor practice strikers have greater rights of reinstatement to their jobs. Economic strikers don't have the ability to get their jobs back in certain instances. If the object of a strike is to obtain from the employer some economic concession, which we saw referenced on the GoFundMe page, such as higher wages, shorter hours, or better working conditions, the striking employees are called economic strikers. They retain their status as employees and cannot be fired, cannot be discharged, but they can be replaced by their employer. This is the kind of references to scabs and folks that cross the lines, et cetera, et cetera. If the employer has hired bona fide permanent replacements who are filling the jobs of the economic strikers, when the strikers apply unconditionally to go back to work, the strikers are not entitled to reinstatement at that time. And then there's certain other aspects of this that the employer has to potentially ask them if they want to come back, if a job opens up, et cetera, et cetera. By comparison, Employees who strike to protest an unfair labor practice committed by their employer are called unfair labor practice strikers. Such strikers can be neither discharged nor permanently replaced. When the strike ends, unfair labor practice strikers absent serious misconduct on their part. If you burn down a company warehouse, that kind of thing, you don't get your job back. Are entitled to have their jobs back, even if employees hired to do their work have to be discharged. So they can hire around you, but then those folks are really temporary and have to give the job back if and when the strike ends. So it's important to note when we talk about all these things, yes, they have certain rights. The, the lines governing them are somewhat ambiguous. And there is real risk here. There is real risk that these employees at Activision Blizzard are likely taking on. 
And that's a part of this story that they would appear to my eye to be mostly economic strikers. Unfair labor practice strikers might sound to you like, hey, Activision Blizzard is under fire from all sorts of government regulatory bodies for harassment and discrimination, all those kinds of things. Aren't those unfair labor practices? And the answer to that is probably not. When we talk about the concept of unfair labor practices in respect of this act, the National Labor Relations Act, they're talking specifically about the stuff they mentioned in this piece of law that I was referencing earlier, unfair labor practices by employer, which is effectively stopping the formation of a union, otherwise constraining collective bargaining, right? You're preventing concerted activity. You're dominating or interfering with the formation of a labor organization. You're discriminating against who you hire in order to keep potential union organizers out of your company. You're discharging employees that have filed charges for unfair labor practices, or you're refusing to bargain because that's the primary method of operation of the National Labor Relations Act is the employees can unionize, they can select a representative to represent them in a collectively bargained agreement. And then the employer, if they refuse to collectively bargain, that can be a significant problem. And in fact, this is where most of the unfair labor practices strikes live, is that you're accusing your employer of not bargaining when they have to by law. And this applies the opposite direction, right? Unfair labor practices by labor organization. We already talked about striking for things that you're not allowed to strike in. The National Labor Relations Act is concerned about things like striking a healthcare provider without giving them proper notice because the public interest is so uh, needed with those specific facilities. You're not allowed to strike to prevent your employer from entering into a contract with another employer because we've got antitrust and commerce concerns and all those kinds of things. And you can go through all of this if you're interested. The point is, when we're looking at demands and references that look like this, you didn't hire the right law firm, you terminated these contracts in a way we didn't like, they're severely underpaid, et cetera, et cetera. This looks very much to my eye like economic strikers, which means these folks, if they strike and we see Activision isn't going to pay them and they don't get enough money out of this strike fund, are at very real risk for their careers, their economic livelihoods. These are people that are going to be putting their money where their mouth is to the extent that they actually do affect a strike here. And that's an important part of the story. Another important part of the story is whether or not this is a protected strike at all, right? And I pulled up an administrative ruling from the National Labor Relations Board folks, and there are open and vague questions here. It says, it is well established that in general, the National Labor Relations Act protects employees' right to go on strike. Protected strikes may include conventional strikes that a labor organization calls, which is how we usually think of these things. But in addition, Protected strikes may include work stoppages that employees organize by themselves without assistance from a union to bring attention to their objections to certain terms and conditions of employment. And this administrative ruling is actually about a union that was backstopping an internal group of Walmart workers, and those Walmart workers decided to do what amounts to a strike. And so we have a very similar fact pattern in respect of this decision and what we're seeing right now. But that's not the end of the story. They're allowed to have work stoppages. They're allowed to strike under those rules. But the board evaluates these things or can if challenged. It says, in contrast to protected strikes, the board has held that intermittent work stoppages are not protected by the act because they seek to create a condition that would be neither strike nor work. So kind of half-assing this can get you into trouble because they're not protected. Consistent with that basic premise, when determining whether strikes or work stoppages are unprotected intermittent work stoppages, the board evaluates whether the evidence demonstrates that the stoppage is part of a plan or pattern of intermittent action, which is inconsistent with a genuine strike or genuine performance by employees of the work normally expected of them by the employer. So you, you can't kind of half strike in order to keep income coming in and doing these kinds of things. The board 
will look askance at it and they'll evaluate it on at least some of these factors, whether the employees engaged in a pattern of reoccurring work stoppages, whether the work stoppages were short, whether the work stoppages occurred over a short period, meaning you do these, you know, in one week, you do three work stoppages, that kind of thing, whether the work stoppages arose in response to separate and distinct concerns. And they might have uh, the ability to argue here that the, the QA work stoppage is different from whatever it is they're doing today, even though they've referenced that in the GoFundMe page. There are things that council has to worry about on both Activision side and on the A Better ABK Workers Alliance side that are very, very risky, very vague, can cost a lot of money to actually adjudicate. And so it is worth noting that as part of this story. This is a very big story. We haven't seen this kind of action in the tech industry, specifically the video game industry, realistically ever. This is a huge public corporation with a giant market capitalization that through, I would argue, the fault of its own in terms of messaging and handling what happened over this summer has caused fractures in its own employees and stakeholders at the company, resulting in their willingness to go out on a limb with this kind of stuff. Now, they are, I believe, being backstopped by CWA, and we'll see that, and we'll see the reason why I believe that as we go forward with this video, but it is still worth noting that this is a giant leap for them by initiating a strike at the same time that they're doing what? they're seeking to formally unionize. Now, as I mentioned earlier in this video, we talked about the fact that their request to have Activision voluntarily recognize CWA as the union for the company really wasn't going to work because Activision can't recognize voluntarily a union that doesn't evidence a majority of support from the employees. We'll look at that law as well. But there are methods to try to go show Activision that a majority support it. And one of those is the concept of union cards. Here's Shannon Liao of the Washington Post reporting as of, uh, it says an hour ago here, but I think I'm a little delayed here. Activision Blizzard employees are taking one more step towards unionization today, calling for workers across the company to sign union authorization cards in support of a union. They launched a GoFundMe page, which we just talked about to create funds for striking. Story to come. And here's Activision responding to at least part of this. Management told employees they will not be paid for the walkout after Wednesday. So the walkout that's been happening that we covered in our earlier video has been continuing for multiple days and Activision had initially agreed to pay them for that. But Activision isn't under an obligation to pay people that aren't performing services to it. They were just trying to keep their head down, probably figured it would be one day. I certainly did. It has continued and now has kind of leaked directly into this union push. Workers still plan to strike today says Ms. Liao, the strike fund is supposed to create financial security for those who choose to join. At the same time as that strike notification went out from a better ABK, you have Jessica Gonzalez, either formerly or currently or quasi of Activision Blizzard right now, saying all I want for Christmas is an ABK union. And as I said at the same time, hey, what's really important here, outside of the strike, which we just don't have contours for, that's important in and of itself, is that cards are going out. I said lots happening today on this, but perhaps the most important. Looks like a better ABK went out with union cards. Do they have the support of the 30% necessary to force a vote? Stay tuned. And I got a number of questions on this. I have a number of reporters kind of asking me to give quotes to these various things. You can check out the Eurogamer article. I think that one went live first with some of the things I said. But to put this in plain of an English as possible, as the National Labor Relations Board says about your right to form a union, if a majority of workers want to form a union, they can select a union in one of two ways. 
if at least 30% of workers sign cards or a petition saying they want a union, the board will conduct an election. And if a majority of those who vote choose the union, the board will certify the union as your representative for collective bargaining. Now, an election, they say, is not the only way a union can become your representative. Your employer may voluntarily recognize a union based on evidence, typically signed union authorization cards that a majority of employees wanted to represent them. So right now, the workers of Activision Blizzard appear to be faced with something that looks a little bit like this. Now, I say only a little bit. Chances are a tech company operating out of California is using digital union identification cards. But here's what they look like and here's what they request of you. These get passed around. It says... I authorize local union number blank of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, which we believe for this purpose based on everything we've seen and the filings that this group, Communications Worker of America, has, has given to things like the National Labor Relations Board on behalf of the employees of Activision Blizzard that CWA is pushing to be the union here to represent me in collective bargaining with my present and future employers on all present and future job sites within the jurisdiction of the union. This authorization is non-expiring, binding, and valid until such time as I submit a written revocation. And these are going to look a little bit different for whatever union you're talking about, for whatever organization you're talking about. But the, the thrust of it is, here's something for you to sign that says, I agree, I want this union to represent me. Now, if they get 30% of the bargaining unit, we'll talk about that in a just second, then they give that to Activision Blizzard, they give that to the National Labor Relations Board, then the National Labor Relations Board will have an election that says, okay, 30% is enough to get us to, to go through this election process. And then if 50% plus one, a majority, of the employees of that bargaining unit actually approve the union, then bam, you are now a unionized shop for purposes of the National Labor Relations Act. Like I said, this is a big deal and it's coordinated to all be happening at the same time. Backstopped, I would say pretty much undoubtedly, although we have to admit that's speculation because we haven't seen them comment, I don't believe, by the Communication Workers of America. Now, in terms of the law, I said that there are a couple of other things that we need to keep in mind. One, we just talked about the majority gets to pick who its representatives are and how that happens through a secret ballot process. Two, the board itself shall decide the unit appropriate for the purposes of collective bargaining out of the employer unit, all of Activision, craft unit, doing certain things, plant unit, locations, or any subdivision thereof, provided, and this is the only interesting one that I thought might apply to this situation, that the board shall not decide that any unit is appropriate for such purposes if such unit includes both professional employees and non-professional employees unless a majority of the professional employees vote for inclusion in such unit. This is one of those areas where you might have kind of differing votes. If you're familiar with corporate structure at all, you know that different series and classes of shares can vote in different percentages. And sometimes you need a majority of them acting together and a majority of one or the other or both. This is the kind of thing that can split things up. But it's the board, the National Labor Relations Board, that gets to pick what the proper bargaining unit is here. And it will be interesting. Because video game development in the United States really hasn't been asked this question, certainly not on this scope before. How does the board make that decision? As we pull up the basic guide to the National Labor Relations Act from the National Labor Relations Board, it's only 40 pages long. Generally, the appropriateness of a bargaining unit is determined on the basis of a community of interest of the employees involved. Those who have the same or substantially similar interests concerning wages, hours, and working conditions are grouped together in a bargaining unit. In determining whether a proposed unit is appropriate, the following factors are also considered. Any history of collective bargaining, well, we might go back to what was already a part of this company. 
Two, the desires of the employee's concern. And three, the extent to which the employees are actually organized, but that can't be the controlling factor. Who can or cannot be included in a unit? A unit may cover the employees in one plant of an employer, for purposes here, a location, or it may cover employees in two or more plants of the same employer. Should be noted that a bargaining unit can include only persons who are employees without the meaning of the act, which also gives us a reflection of what we saw were the demands happening with respect to the Raven QA walkouts, right? What is the primary demand? That all of these contractors should be employees. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes with all of the demands, the walkouts, the movements. I would argue that what we have seen suggests that there is a significant amount of uptake in respect of these unionization concepts at Activision. It's worth noting, as the board says here, the act excludes certain individuals, such as agricultural laborers, of which I I don't think Activision employs any, independent contractors, of which I think Activision employs quite a few, supervisors and persons in managerial positions from the meaning of employees. Can't cover managers, can't cover independent contractors. And so much of software is done on an independent contracting basis. That's one of the reasons I would argue you see a push away from that contracting from the A Better ABK movement. Now, that's going to be up for grabs. The cards themselves are going to be up for grabs. But I'll leave you with this final note. One, hopefully you have a better understanding of what the 30% card verification is, how a majority vote works, exactly what's happening with respect to the strike. But two, if this happens, and I think there's a reasonable chance that 30% of a bargaining unit at Activision, whether it's by Locus or whether it's by uh, Division, whether it's just artists, it's very hard to say what the board will do with this, could get 30% of the cards in, then there will be a massive, massive vote. And if you aren't familiar with these, if you just don't follow the news very often, this will be, in my opinion, a global story, whether or not one of the biggest game publishers in the world unionizes to some material degree. As we've seen, this is a story that many, many people are interested. I just pulled up a random article from yesterday about the Amazon union push at only one of their plants. Union alleges Amazon ads are unlawfully deceiving. Amazon's having to do this vote again because the National Labor Relations Board found that there were problems with the initial election. This, especially in our space of video game news, will look like nothing you have ever seen before in respect of commentary by mass media, probably going as far back as the Mortal Kombat hearings in the Senate. So you want to watch this space, virtual legality definitely, but just space in general, because if this goes to a vote, everybody's going to have an opinion and it's going to be a really big deal. This has been virtual legality for today. Hopefully you found it educational, informational, and entertaining. If you like the talks that we're having here, you find value in them, please consider supporting the channel on Patreon. We can't do this without support from folks like you. We also have other ways to support us listed down below. Otherwise, just subscribing, telling your friends, passing these videos around on Reddit, on forums, wherever else you might find yourself, every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.